America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. December 7, 1941 is a date which will live in infamy. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people and their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. Franklin Delano Roosevelt It is 4 a.m. on December 7, 1941 in the Sea of Japan. Admiral Yamamoto is finalizing an attack that has taken years of research and planning. The attack on Pearl Harbor is the first wave across the Pacific. Japan's goal is to create an empire. Thank you for joining me today for Episode 3, Tina's American Story, Pearl Harbor. I will share first-hand accounts from three different sources. Takio Shiro, a Japanese airman and one of the first to strike. Don Stratton, caught in the middle of the devastation aboard the USS Arizona. And Mao Middlesworth on the USS San Francisco. Not only will I pinpoint exact minutes in the attack, I will cover why Pearl Harbor was considered a dismal failure by the mastermind behind the endeavor, Yamamoto. On an aircraft carrier in the Central Pacific, Takio Shiro was anxious about his mission. I thought it would be a hell of a day. If Japan started the war, chances are it would last a long time. We might die here today. Aircraft crews were clear on the enormous task ahead and were willing to pay the price. We were prepared to die in battle. We were told to write a farewell note to our parents and leave some of our hair and nails as mementos to Kiyo Shiro. 6.30 a.m. It is quiet on Battleship Row. Sunday was just kind of a leisure day for everybody. Don Stratton. Meanwhile, 370 kilometers out to sea, 184 Japanese bombers and fighters have started their mission. 7.02 a.m., Joseph Lockhart and George Elliott are working at a newly built radar site in Oahu when something unexpected pops up on the radar screen. A huge swath of airplanes are headed for the island at high speed. The men contact Lieutenant Kermit A. Tyler. He is expecting a group of B-17 bombers from the mainland and reassures the pair. Unknown to Tyler is that the bombers from the 38th Recon Squadron are hundreds of kilometers away. Lockhart and Elliott have captured a vast group of Japanese killing machines headed towards the most powerful and unsuspecting carrier fleet ever assembled. 84,000 men are unaware of the annihilation about to be unleashed by bombers flying south over the island of Oahu. In training, we used a huge model for the island with mountains and cane fields, so on the mission, it was as if I saw that model, and when I flew over the mountains and cane fields en route, it felt like something I had seen or been before. From above, I felt like it was just a quiet, pretty town, Takio Shiro. The Japanese do not know if they have achieved complete surprise until they fly over Honolulu without any resistance. Once they are sure, radio silence is broken and a signal is sent. Tora, Tora, Tora. In English, tiger, 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 or attack, attack, attack. The Armada follows a carefully crafted plan. If we achieved a surprise attack, plan A was for the torpedo bombers to go in first with the dive bombers afterward. If the enemy saw us coming and fighting back, 
Plan B was for the carrier dive bombers to attack first and our aerial torpedoes would go in last of all, Takio Shiro. The attack leader fires a single flare indicating success and to go ahead with Plan A. Many pilots don't see the flare and the leader fires another single flare. Confusion ensues as pilots who did see the first flare think they are moving to Plan B. The entire Japanese armada strikes together. 7.58 a.m. Torpedoes lead the attack. Navigator and bombardier Takio Shiro releases a torpedo at low altitude, and the attack has officially begun. The peaceful Sunday morning is shattered with explosions, artillery, and fire. 8 a.m. Initially, Mal Middlesworth aboard the USS San Francisco thinks the attack is a drill, but can't understand why Brass is conducting it on a Sunday. More than 1,000 sailors on the USS Arizona are fighting for their lives. We could see the sunrise on the plane, so we knew immediately it was the Japanese, Don Stratton. Only a few seconds pass before sailors and Marines understand the dire circumstances, but those precious seconds cause a delay in a feasible defense. Stratton heads to his battle station and feeds information to the anti-aircraft gunners on the port side of the ship. Meanwhile, Middlesworth watches helplessly in horror on a ship with no ammo or fuel. There is nothing he can do. 8.02 a.m. Miraculously, the USS Arizona manages to fight back, but they are under heavy fire. Within a few minutes, they are running out of precious ammunition. Shiro's pilot, Matsumura, climbs to an angle in height where he can take photos for Japanese high command. He manages to capture one of the most famous images from Pearl Harbor. 8.10 a.m. As the sailors and marines are struggling under the heavy barrage, the Japanese release their most dangerous weapons. Ten high-level bombers target the USS Arizona. Using a white flag to signal the pilots, all planes simultaneously drop their bombs. The bombs take 20 seconds to reach the hulking USS Arizona. The first bomb creates a massive explosion as it slices through the guts of the ship. It sets ablaze the powder room, igniting more explosions. The remaining ammunition lights up, followed by deathly explosion, which rips the USS Arizona apart. It was a million pounds of ammunition exploding, and it just raised the ship right up out of the water and blew the bow of the ship clear off. The ball of flame went up from the explosion about 500 to 600 feet in the air and enveloped us, and the captain and the admiral were killed in the deck below. I think it incinerated them. Don Stratton. Stratton is barely alive, with 65% of his body covered in burns, and he still needs to get off the USS Arizona. Fires are raging, and Stratton has to make his way to the neighboring USS Vestal any way possible. The ocean is bubbling with burning oil. The only means of escape is a rope 75 feet across and 40 feet in the air, tied from one ship to the other. He is in excruciating pain, but there is no help coming. Fighting through the pain, Stratton crosses the rope with skin falling off his arms, and ships are sinking all around him. 8.30 a.m., as suddenly as the beast descended upon Pearl Harbor, he now stops. The sounds of screaming men, broken ships, and roaring fires pierce the air. No one knows what to expect next. There were rumors the Japanese were landing on the North Shore. Was a second or third attack to follow? In those uncertain moments, ammunition and weapons are snatched up. 8.50 a.m. The second assault is loosed, with 170 planes striking the limping Pearl Harbor. The same targets are hit again, inflicting greater damage. Nearby airfields are now primary targets. The U.S. Army has placed the planes together for easier guard against sabotage. It is a bonus for Japanese pilots. 
unprepared, the army still manages to get a few fighters off the ground. The attack lasts until 9.45 a.m., 110 minutes from when it began. It was total devastation. It was unbelievable beyond anything I had ever seen or thought about, Mal Middlesworth. 3 o'clock p.m. As soon as the Japanese aircraft are recovered, the commander of the strike force, Admiral Nagumo, orders the withdrawal. The Japanese Imperial Navy has surpassed even their wildest expectations. 2,403 service members and civilians are killed. 1,178 people injured. Four Navy battleships are sunk, including the USS Arizona and USS Utah, which will never rise again. Thirteen more major ships are destroyed or damaged, and 188 aircraft are destroyed. The Japanese have come out almost unscathed, losing only 60 Japanese who were killed, injured, or captured, and only five midget submarines and 29 aircraft. The Japanese Armada returned to the carrier as heroes. They were celebrated with drinks and accolades. We've been able to strike a blow at the very start of this war, so as soldiers, it was a matter of great pride. Takio Shiro. The attack on Pearl Harbor was one of the most clever planned and best prepared operations of World War II. The Japanese were able to keep an entire fleet of six aircraft carriers, two battleships, and three cruisers secret for the 3,700-mile duration over the North Pacific. The Japanese Navy is exuberant about the success of Pearl Harbor. Only one man does not share the sentiment, and he is Admiral Yamamoto, the mastermind behind the attack. He believes the mission has been a total failure. Tensions between the U.S. and Japan had fermented for almost 10 years. The U.S. had growing concerns over the threat of Japanese power expanding into the Pacific. In January of 1941, 11 months before the attack, Pearl Harbor is conceived as a part of a bigger plan to build a Southeast Asian empire, including China, the East Indies, and Malaya. The Japanese need the rubber, tin, and oil found in the South. Admiral Yamamoto understands this strategy will bring conflict with the U.S. He must knock out the U.S. fleet at Pearl Harbor as this enemy force is capable of cutting off Japan's supply lines. Control of the sea lanes in the Pacific Ocean is crucial as they are the lifeblood of Japan. Yamamoto wants to deliver a powerful blow to the U.S. Navy, preventing the force from intervening in the Pacific. He is confident the U.S. aircraft carriers will play a vital role on the war front. Yamamoto begins receiving regular intelligence on the location of the carriers. As the attack nears, the Japanese are still uncertain on the whereabouts of the ships. Hours before the attack, the command receives a coded message, Climb Mountain Taka, or Proceed with Pearl Harbor. Shortly before the mission, Yamamoto gets word that the aircraft carriers are not at Pearl Harbor. In effect, the Enterprise and Lexington are at sea, delivering planes to Marine Corps squadrons. The USS Saratoga is making its way to San Diego for repairs. The decision to attack is left to one man, Admiral Nagumo. He is the fleet commander and has the last word on field operations. Nagumo must make a profound decision, one that will ultimately decide the outcome of the war. Admirals Yamamoto and Nagumo see things very differently. Yamamoto would have chosen a different commander to lead the mission, but his hands are tied. Japanese military tradition does not allow Yamamoto to select a more capable junior officer to guide the attack. As a side note, Admiral Nagumo later commits suicide at the Battle of Saigon. Yamamoto is concerned with Nagumo's preoccupation of battleships. He sees this as a severe oversight regarding the importance of America's aircraft carriers. 
the Americans are in the dark about the upcoming attack. The Japanese will be able to catch them completely off guard. So although the aircraft carriers are not at Pearl Harbor, Nagumo proceeds. December 7, 1941 is riddled with erroneous decisions by Japanese command. The Pearl Harbor mission was conducted by the Japanese Imperial Navy. As Navy men, they went after the big ships and neglected targets would have seriously impaired the U.S. ability to fight in the Pacific. The ship yards were completely ignored. Not seen as a direct threat, the yards were not targets. They played pivotal roles in repairing damaged but survivable ships and making them seaworthy in only a few months. 18 out of 21 ships are quickly back in service. The U.S. submarine base is bypassed, and in the end, it was these subs that mortally wounded the Japanese, completely cutting off food and resources. Perhaps the most overlooked target was the fuel storage facilities with 650 million milliliters of fuel, enough to keep the fleet running for 10 months. The Japanese were told to intentionally not hit the fuel tanks for fear of smoke compromising the mission. Limited visibility would not allow the Japanese pilots to hit targets and confirm damage. Admiral Chester Nimitz later admitted the destruction of the fuel tanks would have delayed the American war effort by two years. Yamamoto advocated a second attack on Pearl Harbor after refueling was complete, but Nagumo is resolute in the success of the mission. He does not want to lose his hero status by losing more men or aircraft. Attrition is minimal and Nagumo wants to keep it that way. He has lost zero ships. Admiral Nagumo is also afraid of the American aircraft carriers. They do not know where the ships are and a counterattack may be imminent. Nagumo knows damage to the Japanese carrier task force can mar the war effort just as the conflict was beginning. He withdraws. Yamamoto is frustrated. Unlike his fellow officers, Yamamoto has lived and worked in the U.S. Pearl Harbor should break the willpower of the American people. They will be crushed. Yamamoto thinks differently. The once divided nation comes together. The citizens are enraged and support for the war escalates drastically. The slogan, Remember Pearl Harbor, was displayed coast to coast. Americans were disgusted by the secret act of aggression. But was it supposed to be a secret? This was another huge Japanese blunder. The attack on Pearl Harbor was never meant to be a secret. The Japanese Imperial Navy was diligent on maintaining international agreements. They had every intention of declaring war on the U.S. However, it must be done in a carefully, perfectly timed manner in order to maintain tactical advantage. The Japanese plan is to deliver a message to D.C. 30 minutes before the attack. The timing is extremely tight. The Japanese embassy needs more time to warn the Americans about the break-off of negotiations. The Navy's response is a resounding no. If the Americans get wind of the mission, failure is more of a possibility. The surprise puts the Japanese in more danger than they had ever envisioned. On December 6, 1941, the Japanese begin sending a lengthy message to their embassy in D.C., it should be delivered to U.S. Secretary of State Cordell Howell at 1 p.m. D.C. time, 30 minutes before the mission begins. The message comes over in 14 separate parts. The last section breaks off negotiations and serves as a declaration of war. The issue arises when the last part does not arrive until very late. The message still needs to be decoded and transcribed. Normally, an American staffer would complete the job, but they have all been sent away from the embassy. Japanese diplomats not used to typing seriously slow down the transcribing process. Someone else was listening to the coded message sent to the Japanese embassy. 
Codename Magic, the American Military Signal Interception Project, is intercepting every piece of the 14-part code. In fact, the Americans knew about an imminent attack before the message reached the Japanese embassy. However, the location or date of the attack is a mystery. The military sends warnings to military bases all across the Pacific. At 7.48 a.m., Takio Shiro's plane is approaching Pearl Harbor. The Japanese ambassador is still waiting the final transcription to give to the U.S. Secretary of State. By the time Honolulu receives the critical warning, the USS Arizona is ablaze. Admiral Yamamoto is furious that the declaration of war was late. His prediction about the American people is brought forth. For the rest of the Japanese command, the late declaration is a minor detail, but the Americans see it as a devious, underhanded attack on peaceful American soil. The only one not shocked by the American outcry is Yamamoto. Americans are ready to take this fight. According to one Japanese historian, the greatest Japanese error was the attack on Pearl Harbor itself. Prior to the attack, most Americans were complacent or against the war. We would not have stood in the way of Japanese imperial conquest. It was an unforgivable offense, one the Americans were sure to repay. In 1950, the Arizona was moved back to active status in order to fly the flag above her resting place. In 1962, the National Memorial was completed above the USS Arizona. The USS Missouri docked at Pearl Harbor serves as a museum. In 1991, the 50th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, Congress established the Pearl Harbor Commemorative Medal, also called the Pearl Harbor Survivors Medal, and can be awarded to any veteran or civilian who is present in or around Pearl Harbor. I visited Pearl Harbor on a beautiful spring day in April 2017 with my sisters. My two sisters, Julie and Charity, and myself were taking our baby sister, Rebecca, on a Hawaiian cruise. Becky had terminal cancer, and we wanted her to have her trip of a lifetime. The trip was a special time, and I am grateful for the memories I carry. I was especially grateful to have Charity's husband, Blake, with us on the trip. Becky could walk with the aid of a cane, but her weak body preferred a wheelchair, and she brought a doozy of a wheelchair. That thing was a beast, and to push over uneven terrain required some muscle, so thank you, Blake. Like Normandy, Pearl Harbor is a special place. How peculiar that a place of such sorrow, pain, and devastation can feel sacred, but that is Pearl Harbor. We signed up for a tour that included the Punch Bowl Cemetery. I was disappointed that we were not able to get out and explore the grounds. Our bus creeped through the cemetery, slow enough for me to appreciate the beauty of the resting places of these valiant men. I remember the sound of the flag hitting the flagpole in the gentle ocean breeze and the feeling of humbleness and pride in my chest for this great country and the men and women who give the ultimate sacrifice. I don't exaggerate when I say the USS Arizona is a sacred experience. The feelings I had once we arrived were overwhelming. There is a memorial wall with names of all killed on that infamous day to the memory of the gallant men here entombed and their shipmates who gave their lives in action on December 7, 1941 on the USS Arizona. Beautiful flower wreaths lie at the feet of the names, names that belong to fathers, husbands, brothers, sons, uncles, cousins, and friends. The great battleship lies perpendicular under the memorial. Standing on the assembly room section of the memorial gives the best view of the ship underneath the water. 1,000 crewmen are submerged in less than 40 feet of water. The National Park underwater archaeologists routinely expect the submerged gravesite and find remainders of life from the ship, cereal bowls, shaving kits, and the like. The USS Arizona cannot be raised because of a crack the size of a human's fist. 
This crack in the hull would cause the ship to rip apart during the process. There is a constant bubbling of oil as it hits the water's surface. The USS Arizona has leaked 14,000 to 65,000 gallons of oil since December 7, 1941. The National Park estimates the great ship could continue to leak for an additional 500 years. Survivors of the USS Arizona may choose to be interred with their fellow shipmates. A plaque on the memorial shows service and military divers placing urns of ashes in the hull of the ship. Survivors of the events on December 7, 1941 may choose to have their ashes spread over Pearl Harbor. I look forward to the day when I can bring my children back to Pearl Harbor. The USS Arizona and Pearl Harbor are reminders that freedom sometimes comes with a heavy cost. Those brave enough to enter the fight deserve our undying gratitude and reverence. America means courage and allegiance to country. America means sacrifice so that your children will always know peace and freedom. Have you visited Pearl Harbor? Email me at tinamccafferty70 at gmail.com. That's T-I-N-A-M-C-C-A-F-F-E-R-T-Y-7-0 at gmail.com and tell me about your experience. Thank you for joining me for Episode 3 of We the People, Our American Story. Please leave a rating, subscribe, and share this podcast with family and friends. Next time, I'll have Craig's American Story. Until then, see you next Friday.